Hi, trigger warning before we start. There will be mentions of sexual assault, rape, murder, strangling, serial killers, and all of that jazz. And if you feel uncomfortable with that, simply click away. By the way, hi, my name is Din, and welcome to 10 Minutes with Din. It's a birthday special because it's my birthday. I'm 20. Fuck, I'm so old. Oh my god. Honestly. So, why? Why am I so old? <laughs> but I still look 16 though, which is not a bad thing. It's a bad thing sometimes. I just can't be taken seriously because I look really young. It sucks. So, yeah. Back to the original topic, I'm gonna talk about John Wayne Glover, also known as the Granny Killer, the famous, like, one of the famous serial killers in Australia, and we're just gonna talk about how big of a douchebag he is, because he really is one. So, yeah, how about, how about we start? Okay, we'll start. Originally from a working-class family in Wolverhampton, England, Glover was convicted of many petty crimes dating back to 1947 for stealing clothing and handbags. He left school at 14. He served in the British Army but was ejected when these crimes were discovered. Later, he emigrated to Australia in 1956 or 1957 with no qualifications, where he first lived in Melbourne. Shortly after immigrating from England to Australia, Glover, who would take up naturalized Australian citizenship, was convicted on two counts of larceny in Victoria and a stealing charge in New South Wales. In 1962, he was convicted on two counts of assaulting women in Melbourne, two counts of indecent assault, one of assault occasioning actual bodily harm, and another four counts of larceny. He was sentenced to a three-year good behavior bond. He had a troubled relationship with older women in his life, especially his mother Frida, who had several husbands and many boyfriends. And after 1968, his mother-in-law, when he married Gay Rolls, and moved into his parents' in-law's house in Moseman, Sydney, Glover's mother moved to Australia in 1976. She died of breast cancer in 1989. Later that year, Glover was diagnosed with male breast cancer. Glover separated from his wife, who took their daughters to New Zealand. Before John Glover began his killings in the late 1980s, he was a volunteer at the Senior Citizens Society and was considered among its friends a friendly and trustworthy man. He was married with two daughters and lived a contented lifestyle in Moseman. Glover worked as a sailor representative in the 4N20 Meat Pie Company. No proof has been found of Glover killing before 1989, when he was 56. At this stage, he had been married for 20 years with his children, and his wife had no knowledge of his previous offenses. Glover admitted to the killings when confronted with the police evidence. He denied responsibility for other crimes in which he was a prime suspect including the bashing murder of 78-year-old artist Florence Broadhurst in her Paddington studio in 1977. 
A number of years after his conviction, Glover admitted that he never worried about who his victims were or why he killed them. He said he wanted to stop killing, but could not. After each murder, he apparently went about his normal life. Okay, comment time. All I can say is, wow, that guy is a big red flag. He typically has that serial killer mindset where for him killing is, uh, you know, a coping mechanism. And around 1989, I, I think when Glover got older, he would abuse his mom occasionally. But I felt like on most times, his mom had more power. And I felt like he really had a bad childhood, knowing that he was raised by a single mom and that, you know, he had several boyfriends or husbands. And we don't know that those husbands or boyfriends might actually be abusive to him. I just felt like, in my opinion, only if he was raised right, he wouldn't be this crazy. It's just my opinion. I I don't know the guy, so yeah. Back to the original story. On January 11, 1989, 84-year-old Margaret Todd Hunter was walking down Hill Road, Moseman, where she was seen by Glover. After parking his car, he walked up to the victim. He punched Todd Hunter in the face and stole the contents of her purse, including $209. Glover then went to the Mosman RSL club where he spent Mrs. Todd Hunter's money. Investigating police concluded the crime was a mugging and held little hope of finding the perpetrator. On March 1, 1989, as Glover left the Mosman RSL in Military Road, he saw 82-year-old Gwendolyn Mitchellhill walking down the street. Glover returned to his car and put a hammer under his belt. He followed Mitchell Hill to the entry foyer of her Military Road apartment building. As she went to open the front door, he hit her with a hammer on the back of her head. He then continued to strike her about the head and body. Several of her ribs were broken. Glover fled the scene, taking her purse containing $100. Mitchell Hill was still alive when she was found by two schoolboys, but died shortly after the police and ambulance arrived. The police had no eyewitnesses or leads and nothing concrete linked this attack with the previous attack on Margaret Todd Hunter. No forensic evidence was available either, as good-intended neighbors believed she had merely fallen, had watched a crime scene. The police assumed that it was another mugging gone wrong. On May 9, 1989, Glover was walking alone Military Road when he saw 84-year-old Lady Ashton, widow of English-Australian Impressionist artist Sir Will Ashton. Walking toward him, she was on her way to nearby Ruglan Street. Clover put a pair of gloves and followed her into the foyer of her apartment where he attacked her with his hammer. He then threw her to the ground and dragged her into a rubbish bin alcove where he repeatedly hit her head on the pavement. Glover recalled that she had almost overpowered him until he fell on top of her and started to hit her on the head on the pavement. After she was knocked unconscious, 
John Glover removed her pantyhose and strangled her. He placed Lady Ashton's walking stick and shoes at her feet. He then left with her purse containing $100. Glover headed for the Moseman RSL, where he commented to staff that he hoped the sirens outside were not because of another mugging gone wrong. The police found Lady Ashton lying face down diagonally across the concrete floor of the small bin alcove. A pool of blood was around her head. The pantyhose was strung so tightly around her neck that it cut through the skin. Her bare legs were crossed and her arms were placed by her sides. She had a thin trickle of blood running out of her mouth. At this point, the police concluded they were facing a serial killer. To date, all three victims were wealthy elderly women from the same suburb and were all assaulted or killed in the same manner before being robbed of their handbags. A post-mortem examination was carried out and no sign of semen was found. The ligature mark around her neck measured 9 centimeters. She had bruises on her nose and temple, on her neck and both her eyelids. At some stage during the struggle, she bit her lips causing damage to the inner lining of her mouth. A wound was on her cheek, which, which was an open cut that had a small, semicircular abrasion which was a few centimeters away from it. The examiner noted the victim's diamond ring was still present, suggesting that he had not been killed for money. Further Offenses On June 6, 1989, Glover molested 77-year-old Marjorie Mosley at the Weasley Gardens Retirement Home in Belrose. The victim reported to hospital staff and police that a man had put his hand under her nightgown, but that she could not remember what the man looked like. On June 24, 1989, Glover visited the Caroline Chrisholm Nursing Home in Lane Cove, where he lifted the dress of an elderly patient and fondled, and fondled her buttocks. In a neighboring room, he slid his hand down the front of another patient's nightdress and stroked her breasts. Ew. The woman cried out for help, and Glover was briefly questioned by staff at the hospital before leaving. Oh my god, guys. This is so gross. Okay, let's, let's read more. On August 8, 1989, Glover assaulted the elderly Effie Carney in a back street of Linefield on Sydney's Upper North Shore. On October 6th, same year, Glover pretended to be a doctor and ran his hand up the dress of Phyllis McNeil, a patient at the Wibinia nursing home in the Lower North Shore suburb of Neutral Bay. Glover left when the blind McNeil called for help. At the time, Glover was apparently never suspected of or identified as being responsible for the molestations. Oh my god. On October 18, 1989, Glover followed 86-year-old widow Doris Cox along Spit Road, Moseman to a retirement village in the secluded stairwell at the house, at the front of the house. He attacked her, ramming her face into the brick wall where she fell. Although she survived the assault, she was not able to provide a clear description or recollection of events, probably due to her dementia. According to her, the attacker was a young man, possibly a teenager or a skateboarder. Cox assisted police with an 
identical drawing, but again, the scene had been cleaned by neighbors before investigators arrived. Oh my god, what's with the neighbors cleaning crime scenes? Okay, let me take a break for a bit, because, wow. I honestly, I think maybe they got used to, like, old people falling down and hurting themselves much more than they should. That's why they just, you know, let's just clean this up. And can we comment on how Glover is such a creep to grannies? I thought, I thought, honestly, I'm just new to this information, too, as I am reading to you. I am shocked. <laughs> he, he, he is something. Um, what is this granny fetish I'm not really aware of? He is weird. I don't know if it's because of his mommy issues, but I don't, I don't want to know. I don't want to know. Let's continue. Let's continue. On November 2, 1989, Glover approached 78-year-old Lane Cove resident Dorothy Pink while she was walking home in a quiet back street just off Longville Road, Lane Cove, about 10 kilometers from Moseman. Glover then engaged her in conversation and offered to get, and offered to carry her groceries home for her. Bink I'm gonna pronounce it as Bank. Bank Bank invited him inside her house for a cup of tea. Glover declined the tea, but on the return down the laneway uh, to the main street, he passed another old woman and then assaulted her from behind. The victim this time was 85-year-old widow Margaret Pahud, also on her way home from go grocery shopping, and the police were certain that this was the work of the granny killer. She was hit on the back of the head with a blunt instrument, and when she collapsed, he struck her again on the side of the head. Glover rearranged her clothing, shoes, and walking stick, took her handbag, and left. Again, nobody saw the attack, but within a few minutes, her body was found by a young schoolgirl who at first thought the body was a pile of clothing dumped in a laneway. Neighbors yet again washed down the crime scene. As the police and ambulance were on their way, Glover rummaged through the contents of Pahud's purse on the grounds of a nearby golf club. He then headed off to the Moseman RSL Club to again spend $300,000 he had stolen from Pahud. Honestly, I feel like the club staff in that RSL club are getting... Getting suspicious at Glover, I feel it. I feel it in my gut. Like they're always, they're probably wondering why he always has a lot of money, even though like you know he has a family, he's supporting two daughters, and his job probably doesn't pay him that well. Actually, pay actually it might pay him well, but it's not enough, you know, to spend a lot of money. Like three hundred dollars, a hundred dollars on what booze? Okay. <laughs> Let's move on to the other victim. Within 24 hours of the Pahud murder on November 3, 81-year-old Olive Cleveland became the fourth woman killed by the now so-called granny killer. Glover struck up a conversation with Cleveland while she was sitting on a bench just outside the Wesley Gardens retirement village where she lived in the suburb of Belrose. When Olive became uncomfortable, she got up and proceeded to walk to the main building. Glover seized her from behind and forced her down a ramp into the secluded side lane. 
where he hit her and repeatedly pushed her into the concrete before he removed her pantyhose and tied it tightly around her neck. Once again, Glover rearranged her clothing, shoes, walking stick, then left, taking money about $60 from her handbag. Once again, the old woman's injuries were initially attributed to a heavy fall and the crime scene was yet again washed down. No eye, no eyewitnesses were found. Shortly afterwards, the state government doubled the award to $200,000. Keep pausing the recording because my nose is itchy, so let's continue. On November 23, 1989, Glover was sitting in the Buena Vista Hotel in Middlehead Road, Moseman, when he saw 93-year-old widow Muriel Falconer walking opposite the hotel, returning home with her shopping. Glover returned to his car, parked opposite the police station, to retrieve his hammer and gloves. He followed Falconer to the exterior of her home in Mustin Street. He quietly moved up behind her while the partially deaf and blind Falconer opened her front door. He put his hand around her mouth to silence her before repeatedly hitting her around the head and neck with his hammer. When she fell to the floor, Glover began to remove Falconer's pantyhose. As he did this, she began to regain consciousness and cried for help. This prompted Glover to hit her multiple times with the hammer until she finally passed out. He removed her undergarments and used them to strangle her. He searched her purse and the rest of her house for valuables before leaving with $100,000 again. After rearranging her shoes, the following afternoon, the body was discovered by a neighbor who entered using a spare key. The crime scene was left undisturbed and investigators were able to collect forensic evidence including the bloody shoe prints. A neighbor described a suspect as middle-aged, poorly, and gray-haired. The reward was increased by $250 by Christmas. The government really said, you know what, let's raise this up because it's Christmas. <laughs> and honestly, I'm very happy that the neighbor didn't wash off anything. Maybe because it wasn't in the lane or in the pavement or outside the house and... It was actually inside private property. I'm glad. Finally. Finally they got some evidence. Fuck these neighbors. Honestly. Honestly, when you see something weird, like blood, you don't wash it off. You call the police. Why? Is it a normal thing in Australia to do this? Like, when you see blood, you just wash it off? Like, when you see, like... Old women unconscious with blood around them. You just wash off the crime scene. I am confused. It's cr I'm just so confused. Okay, let's move on with the police investigation. On January 11, 1990, Glover visited the Greenwich Hospital in River Road, Greenwich on his pie sales round. He was in his work uniform and carried a clipboard and entered the hospital's palliative care ward, which held four elderly and ill women, including a two-year-old advanced cancer patient, Daisy Roberts. Glover asked him if she was losing any body heat. He then pulled her, pulled up her nightgown and touched her in an indecent manner. Roberts panicked and called for help, which upon 
A nurse, finally, thank God, found Glover in the ward. When confronted, Glover ran from the ward, and the nurse was able to record his car's registration number and notified police. Yes, this, 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 this nurse, she the goat. Honestly, more, more respect for healthcare professionals, because nurses, nurses care for their patients, patients. My English is getting bad. Oh my god. Honestly, if you don't respect, like, medical professionals after that, then what the fuck? <laughs> so yeah, let's continue, because I think this is off to a good start. The hospital staff were able to identify the name Glover, as he was known from doing his pie rounds. A week later, the police returned with a photograph of Glover, which both the nurse and Roberts positively identified. Although this was a significant breakthrough... Okay, let's continue. My nose won't stop itching. I paused the recording because my nose is so itchy. Let's continue. Although this was a significant breakthrough, the hospital assaults were not linked to the murders nor reported to the murder task force for three weeks. Detectives from Chatswood Police Station contacted and confirmed Glover's name via his employers. Detectives contacted Glover and requested he attend an interview at the station the following day. When Glover failed to appear, the police rang his home and were informed by his wife that he had attempted suicide by overdose and was recovering at the Royal North Shore Hospital. Police went to the hospital to see Glover, but he declined to be interviewed, although he did permit them to take a photo. What? I smell clout chaser! Staff at the hospital handed police a suicide note that was written by Glover in the middle of the page on 4 and 20 pies business paper that contained the word, No More Grannies. <laughs> okay. Okay. I see it now. If you like, sounds like the camera or the mic was, you know, moving away. I scratched my nose. Sorry. No more grannies. Oh, and that's not the only thing that's in the paper. It also says SC, which is Glover's mother-in-law, or like Gay's, Gay's mom. He stated that SC started it. What? What? Did your mother-in-law seduce you or something? Please tell me why I do not understand it. Your bullshit. <laughs> I do not understand. Like, why? Why? I, I felt like SC was a nice gal, I believe. Let's continue. Two weeks later, the suicide note and photo were passed onto the task force, now numbering some 70 members, whereupon detectives believed immediately that Clover was the killer. Although they had no evidence, the head of the detective task force said, if he had said to us, I don't want to talk, we couldn't have proved a thing. Still, the photo matched the descriptions of the gray hair suspect and in his job as a pie salesman. Clover could have been at any... Of the murder scene. And a coat. Oh my god. He, he He's just proving himself. That he is like really guilty. And I am talking while I'm scratching my nose. Because. It won't stop. Fuck. 
Okay. Shall we continue? I think we should. Glover was interviewed over the nursing home assaults and denied all accusations. Police had limited evidence and decided not to question him over the murders, which would have let Glover know the police suspicions. Glover was put under constant police surveillance, including at one stage with an automatic tracking device. To make sure that he was not being followed, Glover would drive around the block more than once or drive the wrong way up one-way street. On March 19, 1990, Glover killed his sixth and final victim in Mosman. She was 60-year-old divorcee Joanne Sinclair from Beauty Point, which whom Glover had a platonic relationship. Are you sure about that? By this stage, police had Glover under constant surveillance and watched as Sinclair let Glover into her home around 10 a.m. By 1 p.m., no sign of Glover or movement within the house was seen. Police and the surveillance team became concerned around 5 p.m. and got permission to enter the house at 6 p.m. Two uniformed police knocked on the front door, ostensibly to check on barking dogs to no answer, and when looking through the Rear glass doors saw a hammer lying in a pool of dry blood on a mat. Four detectives searched the house and found Sinclair's battered head wrapped in a bundle of blood-soaked towels. She was naked from the waist down and her pantyhose was tied around her neck. Her genitals were damaged, but Glover later denied raping her. What? Wait, oh my god. I smell a liar. <laughs> Oh my god! How? how? Then explain to me how her genitals were damaged if you didn't rape her, Glover. Explain to me in hell. Oh my god. After finding Sinclair's body, they then searched the house for Glover, who was found unconscious in the filled bathtub. Glover later told police he murdered John Sinclair and explained they had been having a relationship for some time. He said that he beat her about the head with his hammer, removed her pantyhose, and strangled her with it. Glover rolled the body into a mat, wrapped four towels around her extensive head wounds to stem the flow of blood, and then dragged her body across the room, leaving a trail of blood. He then ran the bath, swallowed a handful of Valium with a bottle of Vat 69, slash his left wrist, and lay in the bathtub to die. I felt like Glover wasn't the type of serial killer that wanted attention. Like, he just didn't want to get caught. That's why he's been trying so hard to, you know, kill himself. But he failed. So, yeah, after that, he got arrested. <laughs> I burped. I'm sorry. At the trial commencing on... March 28, 1990, Glover pleaded not guilty to his crimes on the grounds of diminished responsibility. A psychiatrist said Glover had built up hostility and aggression since his childhood against his mother and then against his mother-in-law, who was said to trigger him. When she died, he had to take out his aggression on someone else. The, psychiat the psychiatrist who studied the case also added that this was a very unusual case because very few serial killers exist and most of them are mentally ill and or have an organic disease of the brain. Glover was staying at the time of the murders but a psychiatrist 
At the trial, John Shand said Glover had a severe personality disorder, which I agree. Like, he is weird as fuck. Weird. I felt like, yeah, I feel like he was sane at some point. Like, he knew that he... I think the definition by sane by psychiatrist is like, he, he knew what he was doing. It wasn't like anything else. He wasn't having any hallucinations and stuff. It just, they just knew that he was in the right mind and conscious to do that. And yeah, I'm not, I'm no expert in the psychology field, but that's what I feel about it. And I don't think that all are mentally ill. They they completely know what they're doing. They're just really, you know, they're just really weird. Okay? They're just really weird, man. The Crown po- Prosecutor maintained the Glover was well aware of his actions when he killed. He was also planning what to do with the victim's money and also took time to clean the hammer with acid. Glover was impotent and had no interest in sex, so tying the pantyhose so tightly around his victim's neck was to make sure they were dead, at the same time trying to trick the police into thinking that this was the work of a sexually motivated killer. Are you sure that he has no interest in sex? Because he's been assaulting old women from the start. I don't get it. I know he's a horny man. I feel it. I feel it. That's why he's been like... He's been he's he's been weird with the grannies. Because he knows they're the most vulnerable. Because they have dementia and like all other diseases that fuck up their memory. Fuck you, Glover. Fuck you. <laughs> so, yeah. Whew. Days before... Glover finally committed suicide. He handed his last outside visitor a sketch of a park. Glover pointed out two pine trees in the image. In the middle of the right pine tree, the number 9 could be seen between leaves and branches. The number 9 is said to either represent the total number of murders or the number of unsolved murders committed by Glover. I believe he died around... September 9, 2005, he died by suicide through hanging, and his body was discovered the same day. It was said that, you know, he, it was said that it was like, you know, pity, sympathy. It was supposed to be like, um, a suicide that, you know, to make him feel bad, to make them feel bad, to probably, like, lessen his sentence. But that wasn't the case. So, yeah. I guess. Lol. Lols. That's what I gotta say. And additional comment to this, like, Glover was also addicted to poker machines, and the easiest way for him to get more money was to steal. After the guilty verdict was delivered, Justice Wood stated that he was dealing with an extremely dangerous prisoner because, yeah, obviously for reasons. First, he knows that he, he knows that he has power, okay? He has power through these, like, very vulnerable victims, like the old women. I felt like he could assault, like, an old, like, a younger woman, but I think that he couldn't do it because he has daughters. That's just my gut feel. 
because mostly he is really aggressive. If you have like noticed, he is really aggressive with elderly women. I felt like he is gentle with his daughters. I felt like his daughters probably hate him. I just felt like it because if he was my dad, I would hate him. I would ask like any any you know government staff to erase his name in my birth certificate because I am that I am that embarrassed. So, he was imprisoned at Lithgow Prison, where he was held in a maximum security prison cell. In May 2005, Glover collapsed in his cell and was placed on suicide watch after telling prison officers, I've had enough. I want to kill myself. He was examined by a mental health review team and monitored by closed-circuit television. He was also given medical examinations as a follow-up to the two cancer surgeries he had undergone the year prior. On September 10, 2005, Glover was found dead in his Lithgow Maximum Security prison cell and it pronounced dead at 1.25pm. The 72-year-old serial killer was confirmed to have hanged himself. Ah, uh, erase what I said earlier. He, he, he was found, like, the day after. Wait... How did he manage to kill himself if he was, like, in maximum watch? That's what I want to know. Maybe, like, he had some free time. Or maybe he, like, you know, tried to fool the cops. And then, like, while fooling the cops, he practiced killing himself. Oh, wait. I read that the reason for it was to gain sympathy. He was probably, you know... He was probably threatening the police that, Hey, I will kill myself. I will hang myself. If you don't do something, something like that. And the police were like, yeah, sure, do a flip while you're at it. And he actually killed himself. So, yeah, that's just my theory. I don't know the dude. I don't want to meet the dude. Probably I'll meet him in hell. I don't know. I just don't know. So in the media, his murders were the focus of the Crime Investigation Australia Series 1 episode, No More Grannies, The Granny Killer. End of the series two episode of Forensic Investigators entitled Granny Killer. So yeah, I was really famous in Australia because obviously who wouldn't wait? Who wouldn't like hate this guy? Not wait. Who wouldn't hate this guy? <laughs> Imagine like being scared because your grandma might get might get R word. I would probably. So that's basically it of like this episode i hope you understand what i said because i felt like i was so bulul <laughs> i was like so bulul the entire episode i had a hard time reading with the s i should practice reading again read more you know better oh my god i feel like i'm going back to kindergarten oh my god did i just fulfill my own birthday wish <laughs> so yeah let's just end this episode and i hope that you had a great day today. I sure am by just laying around doing nothing. So yeah. Um initially this episode was supposed to be like twenty six minutes long, but your boy Glover had a lot of killing in just what, one year? It has six confirmed and thirteen possible victims. Thirteen possible Okay, that is like a lot. It's like 19 victims overall. I read in one website, it was like 13 possible victims. In here, it was 9. 
So, yeah, that was a lot. That was a lot to to read. He is one sick man. That's all I can say. So, yeah, this is where I'll end the episode. I hope you had a great day. <laughs> I, can't, I can't believe it. I keep greeting you guys twice. Okay, I think it's my thing now. So, yeah, bye. Mwah.